worship the Lord with us. And it's going to be a good time in the Word here shortly. But before we get to that, let me share some announcements that we have in the bulletin. So if you have those, go ahead and uh, take those out and you can follow along. Uh, tomorrow night, March 11th at 6.30 p.m. right here in the sanctuary, we're going to be having a video slash broadcast training uh, and so if you're interested at all in any, whether video or editing, any of that kind of uh, technology uh, for the ministry, we want you to be here for that meeting. And Brother Jorge Carmona is going to be teaching that. Uh, and so uh, you don't have to know everything about it. That's what the training's for, so that you can begin the process of, of learning it. And, um, and then you can get plugged in. And the more, the merrier. You know, the more people that can be utilized in that ministry, the lighter the load will be for the people that are currently helping out with that. And uh, if you didn't know this, whenever someone's working either sound or video, uh, it's not, even though they're in the sanctuary, it's not a time where they're able to just sit there and, and soak up what's going on because they're actually working. Um, and so, you know, it's nice to be able to, you know, take a break from that and, and fill yourself. And so that's why we want more people to get involved in that so that uh, those folks that, you know, lend their expertise and their gifting, that they might be able to take a break from that and, uh, and benefit the way that we all do. And um, so be a part of that. And it's going to be a really uh, informative training. So, again, tomorrow night, 630. Um, some other things we have going on right after this service, we're going to uh, have a leadership meeting, uh, a board meeting. It's going to be right in the uh, fellowship hall. So, of course, say hello to people and uh, bid them a good week, but we need to get into uh, our meeting time and, uh, and get into that meeting. So it's going to be our first one with this particular leadership team, so it's going to be a, a time of getting to know each other, at least in that venue, and uh, it's going to be a good, a good meeting, I hope. We pray. All right, other things that you have going on, you can just refer to your, your bulletin there. And uh, what you don't see in there, you might have questions about, might be answered uh, by getting on the website. So for sure, the website has some things sometimes that will go into depth, uh, some of the different uh, activities we have going on in the church. So we want to welcome you to go to the website. All right, well, we're going to get into the Scripture this morning. If you have your Bibles, let's turn yet again to First John and um, we're going to be talking about holiness. This is going to be uh, the last in that series, and next week we'll start something new. Uh, I'll just uh, wait to let you know what that is, uh, but this is going to be the last week of this. It's been a rich time. There have been a lot of people that I've talked with and, and had the pleasure of, um, you know, kind of revisiting some of the things that they heard on a Sunday and how that's blessed them, how that's grown them. And, um, and I've... You know, just I, I never get tired of talking about God's word. Uh, but as Nazarenes, as uh, you know, Wesleyans, we um, we really have that uh, that distinctive in our uh, you know in our movement that that we're to be holy. And it's not a Nazarene necessarily, or even Wesleyan. It's a biblical uh, idea. It's something that we find in the Scripture that we should be holy. And uh, so I always you know am excited to to get back into that and to talk about, uh, you know, these, these important themes for our, our faith. And uh, so I hope that you've also benefited from that as well. And last week we were in chapter 2, uh, 1 John chapter 2, and we're going to continue there in verse 3. So if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn there now. Uh, so it's 1 John chapter 2 and verse 3. It says, We know 
that we have come to know him if we obey his commands. Little review, right? We talked about that last week. How does a person know if they've come to know him? They obey his commands, right? So pretty simple. I like John. John just kind of uh, makes it plain for us to know. So it says that we can come to, we have known, we've come to know him if we have uh, obeyed his commands. So number four, verse four says, the man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So verse four is kind of a, a heavy thought. It's, it's a, a thought that you have in terms of um, kind of drawing a line. And, you know, it's not any gray area there. There's not any kind of, well, I wonder what he's saying there. Uh, when you read that, it's just black and white, isn't it? Uh, if a person says that they know him, but they're not doing what he commands, uh, you can know who you are very quickly, that you're not telling the truth. Um, in other places in the Scripture, like, say, for instance, in the Gospels, Jesus likens an individual like that to a hypocrite. Uh, if we understand the word hypocrite, it's an actor. It's a thespian. It's someone who portrays himself to be something that they're actually not. And uh, so when you look at this word liar, it's a strong word. Uh, it's a word that you have to pay attention to. Uh, we, also, we understand from last week talking about liars are actually not getting into the kingdom. Uh, in Revelation, it talks about that. Uh, there's not going to be any liars in heaven. And so if there's this duplicitous nature that we have as it pertains to our faith, um, the way that God sees it is not necessarily the way that man sees it. You can't hide these things from God. Uh, you know, like for instance, how many of us have ever had a bad attitude towards someone? And then, but then you had this bad attitude towards that individual. When they come around, you smile at them. You know, you, you act like nothing's wrong, like everything's okay. And yet inside, you're harboring these things. And so there's this duplicitous uh, way of being. And yet, God sees it and he says, what are you doing? How many of you guys have ever had where your children ever told on you? Did you ever have that? You ever, you ever had that happen to you? Like you have little kids, because kids tell the truth. You know what I mean? Like, I remember I was telling somebody this the other day. You know, one time my mom, who wasn't a believer at the time, I was a little kid, and, and she wasn't sick, and, but she, called, she was wanting me to call in sick for her. Uh, she was going to give me the phone number, dial it up, and, and I was going to tell the boss that my mom was sick, and so she won't be coming in today. So she dials the number, and I get the phone, and I'm probably about 9 or 10 years old. If my mom ever visits here, ask her about this story, and she'll laugh about it uh, now. But she didn't laugh about it then. And what happened is she, she says, okay, well, uh, you know, I'm dialing it up. Tell Mr. McCarty that I'm sick. And so uh, Mr. McCarty gets on the line, and I said, hey, uh, Mr. McCarty, this is uh, Stephen, uh, Maxine's son. And, she says, and he says, oh, okay, so what's going on? I said, well, my mom told me to tell you that she's really sick and that she's not going to come in, so she wanted me to tell you that. Can't imagine what the, on the other line, what he looked like. We didn't have FaceTime in those days. And he's on the other line, and he goes, um, okay, well, tell her to call me when she's, quote, unquote, feeling up to it. Okay, bye. My mom is like, what are you doing? You know, like, you shouldn't have told a child to call in sick for you. Because children say what they see. They don't, 
understand this whole idea of being duplicitous. I mean, you know, I've had little kids before. We had one such child at uh, Sandia when we were in Albuquerque, and she was about four years old. Her name was Noelle. And uh, Noelle kind of just has her knees on my knees like that, and she's trying to balance herself, playing that little game, you know, trying to balance herself. And, and, uh, and then the next thing that comes out of her mouth is, why are your teeth broken, Pastor Steve? Well, my, te- my bottom teeth are very crooked. I mean, if you, I never got braces for my bottom teeth. She's four years old. She looks at it. She figures your teeth are not straight, and so to me they look broken, and so she's going to ask me that. I could be here. We, we, there's actually a television show that kids say the darndest things. You ever heard that? that there, there's a reason why there's that show. Oh, well, they just kind of see it for what it is. It is what it is, and we're going to say what it is. And somewhere along the way, the adults, we figure out a way to get away from that, and we kind of just live in this life of kind of just dumbing things down and making everything gray. And, you know, uh, instead of us just coming out and saying what needs to be said, we kind of just pretend. And I don't know why we got into that game, but we did. And I think it's because we don't want to show ourselves for who we really are sometimes. You know, if we have a bad attitude about someone and we went to someone else and we started talking bad about them behind their back, probably the best thing to do instead of doing all that would be to go to them. They're the only one that can fix the deal. They're the only one that can fix the problem. And by the way, the idea of gossip and slander is not even Christian at all. If you're over here engaging in gossip and slander, you're not a Christian. If that's the mode of your life, actually the word gossip, the word that gossip word in the Greek means to Satanize. If that's your mode, you need to change. You need to ask God for forgiveness. That's that's a, that's a uh, that one was free. That's a public service announcement for you. The point of what I'm saying is that the directness of God's word is such that there's not any wiggle room if you really authentically grab a hold of its, of its meaning. When you look at it, there's not any way to squirm away from that. It doesn't say that the person who says, I know him but does not do what he commands, is a good guy. He's just really trying real hard. He needs to try harder. It doesn't say that. It doesn't even say the person who does not, who, who's not acting authentically, that that person um, is a good Christian person but fill in the blank. It doesn't say that. The Apostle John doesn't play games. And have you ever asked the question why these people don't play games? Why is it that when you read about, like say for instance Jesus, he says every single careless word that comes out of someone's mouth, we're going to be judged for that. I mean that's, that's pretty black and white. Why is it that these people, whether Old or New Testament, why are they so direct? And it's for one reason. It's because God is direct. God doesn't play. God doesn't mess around. And he doesn't operate in the shadows. He doesn't operate in gray. It is black and white. And there is no ambiguity. Jesus said, let your yes be yes and your no be no, and that everything else that comes from the devil. Have you ever wondered even why he even says something like that? Have we ever wondered why he says yes and no? Do you have a two-word vocabulary? We walk around just saying yes and no to everything? No, the point of what he's saying is that you need to say what you mean. That when we walk around inferring and we walk around, you know, being ambiguous about what we mean, that that's what creates confusion. And the devil is the author of confusion. 
If everybody walks around not knowing or not understanding something, then they're off in each and every single other corner wondering what is going on. And the devil, when he knows that nobody knows what's going on, that's when he can isolate them and beat on them. But when we know that we know that we know, and the black and the white, and we're understanding what's right and what's wrong, when we read God's Word and we don't mess around with it and we live according to its principles, then we can walk in ways that are everlasting. We can have confidence. We can, we can know with certainty that this is what God said, this is what I'm living, and therefore I can move forward realizing that God is not going to steer me wrong. These are important to us this morning. And when the Apostle John says something like this, we better perk up that if we are not doing what he commands, that we're not a Christian, we're a liar. I mean, you know, any Christian liars here today, uh, this morning? That's an oxymoron. Those two don't go together. You're a Christian. If you're a Christian, you're Christ-like. And to be like Christ means that we do the will of the one who sent us. That's what we live for. That's who we are. So that's what he says here. That's a little bit of review from last week. Verse 5, but if anyone obeys his word, there's that if again. If anybody obeys his word, that means that you have a choice, you have a free will to obey him. You ought to praise the Lord about that. We've been talking about kind of the, the duplicitous nature. Let's talk about the authentic nature. To obey the Lord's word. We're going to obey God's word this morning, and we have the choice to obey his word at every point. Somebody ought to say amen about that. I can obey God's word? Yeah. You can obey God's word. The good news is that not only will he reveal what that word is, he'll empower a surrendered will. That is really good news for us today. So he's, he's so good to reveal, hey, this is the way that you should go. This is the way that you should do it. This is the better way. This is the way everlasting. So now, before, we, we just didn't know what that was. Now we know. Our eyes are open. We say, wow, this is the way to live. It was crazy because when we were uh, pastoring in a, um, in a very inner, inner city setting, we had this one couple, um, Johnny and Sean uh, Chazaretta. And um, at the time, they, were not, um, they weren't married. They came to Christ, and they were living together. And, um, and they didn't know anything about God. They had no clue at all about what, you know, what Christianity was or what the faith was about. They didn't know anything about the Bible, nothing. They came to Christ at an outreach event. And uh, so uh, they started coming to church, and, and they wanted to get uh, counseling. So we sit down, Jennifer and I sit down with them in, in the office, and, and um, we start to find out about them, you know. And, and uh, it turns out they're not married. Our assumption was that they were married, I think they were even maybe wearing rings, I think. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, but so it comes out that they're not married. And, uh, and so, okay, well, that kind of changes the counseling session a little bit. The dynamic of it needs to be pre-marriage counseling, not marriage counseling. And so now as we're talking about, you know, what God would be pleased with, say, listen, um, you guys are living in sin. If that's what you're doing, that's not pleasing to the Lord, you know. There needs to be uh, pre-marriage counseling, and um, you guys need to, you know, live in different places. You can't cohabitate anymore. And, uh, and I remember um, Johnny. Johnny goes, really? 
I said, yeah, and we open up the scripture and we, we show it to him, you know. He says, okay, well. And Sean goes, you know, Sean's his wife, Sean says, yeah, okay. Well, I guess that's what we have to do. So they end up finding two different places to live until they can get married. And, and they wanted to do things the right way. There was this, this darkness, this shroud, uh, their lack of understanding or knowing what was right. That's where they were living. And then they were called into the light. And as they're called into the light, it's revealed to them. It's exposed for them. And they're able to actually make a right uh, a judgment about what they're doing. You see, before we have God, we're not able to make right judgments. Jesus says in John chapter 7 and verse 24, he says, stop making judgments based on mere appearances and make a right judgment. Well, the idea of a right judgment, it says we're rightly connected. You cannot make a right or a proper judgment about life without being rightly connected. Jesus says, make a right judgment. And so there, as Sean and Johnny are hearing this judgment, it's a right judgment, they're able to, because they're also living in the light, they decide that they want equally to live in the light. Remember we were talking about a few weeks ago, it says, as we walk in the light, as he is in the light. You remember that? And so there's this, this awareness that God is constantly in the business of revealing to us, those of us that are in the light, more of him. How is it for us this morning? Can you remember the last time you had revelation? New revelation. And if I was going to ask an individual and even put them on the spot this morning and say, okay, uh, do you remember the last nugget of revelation that God gave you? What is it? And then we're going to take it even a step further to say, with that revelation that you're able to articulate, what did you do with it? All of these things together that we're going to talk about this morning, I think, will help the person who's a brand new believer, like a Sean and Johnny Chazaretta, that say, oh, it, we shouldn't be doing that? Well, then we need to go and live in different places. Or it might be for this uh, mature believer who's, you've been in the faith a long time, uh, it's a good thing for us to do inventory and say, okay, am I really in the light? Am I still living in the light? Is there new light? Is there new revelation for my life? And with the revelation that I have, is it fresh? And is it something that I'm actually doing something with it? These are all things that we need to ask and not be so self-assured and think that we're already doing that. The guy talking included. All of us. And, and so if we'll do that, then God will continue to grow our faith. How many of you are interested in God growing your faith? We should all raise our hand on this and affirm that, that we want God to continue to grow us, to cre create opportunities for us to be conformed further in the image of his son Jesus. So that's how that's done. So it says, but if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. So now the Apostle John incorporates the word love. And this is the course that we're going to take today to talk about love. God's perfecting love. That as believers, we came how? Not because we loved him, right? The Bible says not that we loved him, but that while we were still yet sinners, Christ died for us. So God showed his love. He didn't show his, his I'm going to put my thumb in, I'm, I'm going to 
give you the requirements and I'm going to make you and it's going to be this taskmaster. What, what was it about Jesus that God wanted to communicate to people? Love. Jesus is love wrapped up in flesh or love personified. However you want to say that, the idea of, of God creating man in his own image and the concept that it's complete or it's finished is found in his love. That when we are able to experience God's grace, we are able to experience the love that he has for us. I can't remember exactly, but I, I can tell you pretty close that when I came to Jesus, there was a an image that I had in my own mind about God that I had never seen about God. In, in, in terms of before I knew the Lord, growing up, you know, Roman Catholic, but just going nominally at best. I mean, we went when people died or there was a, a baptism or something like that. Uh, maybe Christmas, we went to Mass, but we never went. And I had this idea of God as depicted through my through my mom and through the priest and these kinds of images that I'd seen very briefly. And every time I went to church and uh, we were going to be in mass and sitting on those wooden pews, I, I could count how many times I was pinched. I mean, I could talk, uh, tell you how many times that I was getting flicked. So it was getting flicked and getting pinched, and, and that's what it was. And, and uh, everybody walked in there very somber and, and very quiet, and, and uh, you'd get looks from people, you know, like if you were making too much noise as a kid, they'd look at you like, what, you know, can't you get your kid to be quiet and get them in shape, and what's, what's your problem? And I remember, I don't know about all the priests, but I could tell you the, the parish priest we had is that he came in there, and he looked pretty tough. I mean, he looked like a guy you didn't want to mess around with. I had this concept of God then from them, rightly or not, that God was this guy that was wait, waiting to get me, waiting to punish me, waiting to, you know, shake me down, and maybe even if I didn't come around that he was going to kill me. I, I thought this way. And these guys were preaching out in that, in that uh, cold air in Albuquerque, and, and, um, and they talked about his love. And I didn't know God that way. I didn't know him that he, that he actually loved me, you know, I, and that was a different concept. And so now these guys are talking about that God loves you. He's got a plan for your life. He wants to see good happen throughout your days. He's provided Jesus for your benefit. And I'm, I'm just soaking all of this up, and it was a paradigm shift from, from my, my, my concept about God. But as much as these guys began to talk about that love, it made God attractive to me. I wanted God. I, and I can't even put my finger on it exactly, but I, I can tell you that there, there was elements of the relationships that I had with people and the relationship that I had with the church prior that had to be done away with for me to be able to accept God's love. There are people in this room right now, maybe it's not church or maybe it's not experiences in church, but maybe it's relationships that you've had in your past where you've been betrayed and you've been hurt, you've been neglected, you've been ignored. There have been things that you've grown up with or things that you've encountered in your marriage uh, with friendships or, or, or whatever where there should have been love. 
and because people have hurt you and people have done these things to you, that it's a, it's a very real hindrance to, for you to be able to receive God's love. You have a, a, a jaded um, perception of love. If you have a connotation connected to the word love and it has human origin, it's going to be very difficult for you to embrace God's love. What we want to talk about today with regard to God's love being made complete in us, we're going to go to some different passages. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to um, John chapter 15. John chapter 15. John chapter 14, it's verse 15. (laughs) I had it switched, I'm sorry. John chapter 14, verse 15. Jesus says here, If you love me, you will obey what I command. How many of you guys have ever heard that text? Anybody ever heard that, that verse? If you love me, you will obey what I command. Okay? So now, as we talk about this concept of of love equals obedience, love equals obedience, obedience without love is a list of rules that you're supposed to comply to. Understand? If you talk about obedience without love, let me say this again. If you talk about obedience without love, then it becomes a set of rules and practices and standards that become a taskmaster. You remember when you were a kid and you had the list of rules and the rules felt like it were a big old weight on you. Whether it was the teacher, whether it was your parents, whatever the rules were. I remember there was the sign, uh, the, um, the, I almost gave it away. Uh, the song in the 60s, remember that song, Signs? Sign, sign, everywhere a sign. Remember that? Remember that? that it was kind of like a, a hippie song. Well, basically what it was, it was kind of a defiance toward the man, toward the rules. Most of the people that you'll see in rock music, whether from the 60s all the way up to today, they found uh, some kind of a commonality that they wanted to buck the man. They wanted to buck the, the system. That all of the rules and all of the convention, it was kind of a fist to all of that. And you'll find even that some of the people that are the most ardent enemies of the church found their origins in the church. People like Alice Cooper. Did you know Alice Cooper grew up a PK? Did you guys know that? Could you imagine that? This guy used to bite off heads of chickens. Seriously, he used to do that on stage. Yeah, crazy, crazy, crazy. Like, um, there, there are other guys that, uh, that, that I'm not even going to go into all that stuff, but there, there are some of these people, and they were bucking the trend. They were trying to get away from it. Obedience, let me say this. If we're only talking about obedience and we're not talking about love together with it, it's going to run its course, and eventually people will run out of willpower, and they will quit. They get tired. What if we talk about love without obedience? What we have is some kind of a superficial, emotional 
catharsis. Where there's not any loyalty, where there's not any allegiance, there's not any kind of uh, fidelity, there's infidelity. Um, Recently, I was talking with somebody, and they said, man, one of the biggest eye-openers that I ever had under your ministry, and you said this in a, in a Bible study one time, and, and you said how sin is not failing to follow all the rules. That's not sin. We think that that's what sin is, but that's not what sin is. Sin is actually infidelity. Sin is unfaithfulness. Sin is spiritual adultery. And when you sin, you're cheating on God. You hurt God. It's the same way that you would be hurt if your spouse cheated on you. That's what sin is. And he said, this, this individual I was talking to, he said, when you said that, it turned my whole theological world upside down, or rather said, right side up. Because for the first time, I viewed, I viewed what I was doing that was not what the Scripture said I was supposed to be doing. I didn't see it as just this list of rules. I saw it now as hurting the heart of God. And that changed everything for him. So when we talk about love, we can't talk in the, at the expense of, of, of obedience. We have to talk about both of them together. Jesus says, if you love me, and who's he talking to? He's talking to the church. He's talking to the Christians. He's saying, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And another passage, it talks about, and his commands are not burdensome. Have you ever asked the question why that on the heels of saying something like that, that they're not burdensome. It's because people have felt first century all the way up to today this weight of being obligated to have to obey without love. Now, let's ask this question. If you love anything, is it hard to do it? How many of you guys have ever just really worked really hard through a piece of cheesecake? Drizzled with raspberry sauce. I'm suffering for Jesus. I'm going to make it some way. Somehow, this is mine. <laughs> That's a pleasure. You know, hey, cool. Raspberry drizzle? Oh. That's the best. You love that. I mean, if if that's what your thing is, right? doesn't matter what it is. I mean, if you have a, a, a person that you love, a, a, whether it's a child or a spouse, someone that you really care about, then any time that you have to do something for them, it's not like, oh, I have to do it. I mean, I've used the illustration before, but it just works. I mean, like on an anniversary, a birthday, here's your flowers, honey. I have to do it. I really don't want to. It's a waste of money. These things are just going to welt. Uh, you know, wilt up. But here you go, I guess. There you go, because I'm supposed to. Husbands are supposed to. That's what the rules say. That's what the law says. So here's, here you go. If I don't do something nice for you and somebody hears about it, then everybody will think I'm a bad husband. So here you go. What do you think? Do you think she likes those? If she wasn't a believer, she might tell me to take those flowers and do something with them. <laughs> so the difference between that and, you know, just 
It's not even your birthday. It's not even your anniversary. I just was thinking about you. Here's a card. Hey, I um, did the laundry, and I folded it, and I put it away. Because I love you. There's a difference. Love and obedience, they have to go together. And love is what has to, it has to originate in love. It does not originate in obedience. It originates in love. Love has to be there first. And if, if God's love is first, understand this. It's not us that loved God. It was him that loved us. It's, it, it was God that loved us. It originates in him. And when he deposits his love into our lives, the byproduct is obedience. To some, this might seem really simple or elementary, but I, I don't know about that in the culture. You ask the question, well, wait a minute. Uh, you know, if, if I love God, and you're saying that the byproduct is going to be that I'll obey him, that's not where I'm living. Well, then there has to be introspection. Do I really love God? And we're not saying what we say, you know, because we can, we can say that we love God, but then there's not that byproduct of obedience. So then there's something wrong. Now understand that if, if love has to be first, if God's love, it originates with him, not us, and he's the one that works that into our lives, and we, all we have to go on is the, the, the fruit or, uh, you know, the evidence, um, the tangible stuff, and we say, well, I'm not obeying God. I thought I had God's love in me. Maybe I have to back the train up. And maybe I need to ask God for his love. Because it's not a willpower issue, you guys. I think that's where we miss it. I think people in the churches think that if I have better willpower, I'll be able to do the right thing. And they don't understand that it, it's actually, it's being rightly connected to God that's the X factor here. That if I have his love, why? Because God, it, God doesn't even just give you love. God gives you himself. God is love. The power of God in us is what works out the obedience. It's God in us. So it's no longer I that lives, the apostle Paul says. It is God in me who lives. So as God lives in me, I'm able then to respond to that love with surrender, with compliance. And as I lay my life down, now God is in a, in a, in a position to be able to live his life through me. And instead of even doing God's will, we become his will. But as it now is, when we talk about some of these things that we're, we're, we're kind of struggling through, there needs to be a moment of being truthful with ourselves. That if I'm not being obedient, it's not even a Steve problem. It's not necessarily even a, a willpower problem. It's a love problem. I've not embraced God's love. And, and there needs to be this, this honest approach to my faith. To be able to say if maybe at some point I, I evicted God's love out of my life. I kicked it out through whatever kind of disobedience or whatever kind of refusal that I had back here. I think there needs to be those points of sobriety spiritually where we go back to that place. We have to go, we have to diagnose it. And then when we can diagnose it, then and only then will we be able to fix it. You understand? This is important for us. You can't just, you can't just think that time's going to fix the thing or that, that you know, just, it's just going to gloss it over. We need to fix broken things. 
biggest break that a person has is when they don't have God's love in their lives. That's why everything else is broken. It has to start with God's love. If you love me, you will obey me. You'll obey my commands. And my commands are not burdensome. The reason they're not burdensome is because when I deposit that love, you'll have a love for the Father that, that promotes an insatiable appetite for obedience to his word. These drug addicts, you have these drug addicts that when we, when we find them or, you know, addicts to alcoholism or, um, you know, whatever the thing is, cigarettes, I don't know. Bad attitude. You know, you can be addicted to a bad attitude. People are addicted to television, Facebook, whatever. These addicts, they, 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 they have this term. I don't know if you've ever heard this term, but they jones for whatever it is that they want. They, they have this, this appetite that it's insatiable. They had, they had to go and they had to satisfy it. You know, they had to go and get a fix, right? And nothing's going to satisfy it. They'll, they'll do whatever they got to do to satisfy it. I mean, they'll, they'll sell their kids. They'll steal from loved ones. I mean, they, they, they'll, they'll kill in some cases, to get what they want. I've ever thought about what that looks like when God redirects that kind of an insatiable appetite for him. I'm not saying that you're going to go steal and kill people. <laughs> but there's something that God deposits because of his love that the believer wants more than anything, more than anyone, to obey him, to be pleasing to him. There's something in them that God deposits by his Holy Spirit. I have to love God. I want to love God with everything. I can't wait till the next opportunity that I'm going to get to do it all over again. And, there, and so that's another telltale. That's another red flag. Do you have that in you? I mean, is this something that you want more than anything to, to, to live for God, to be pleasing to him, to obey him, to look for the next opportunity to make him proud, to put a smile on his face, to win somebody to Jesus, to get in the word, to pray, to worship. These are things that, I, well, if I don't go to church, then the pastor's going to try to make me feel guilty. That, that's, there's something deficient there. There's something wrong with an individual that would think or say that. The person that loves God, that his love is in them, is the kind of person that says, I can't wait for worship. I can't wait for the next time there's church. I can't wait for Bible study. I can't wait to open up my Bible. I can't wait to pray. Oh, my goodness, where's the next opportunity I can tell someone about Jesus? That's how they live. That's who these people are. It's not, listen, the love of God is not a compartment It's not tucked away neatly in a drawer to be pulled out on Sunday morning. The love of God encompasses every nook and cranny of our being, of our attitudes, of our practices, of our habits. It's who we are 24-7. Every single waking moment we have is filled with the love of God. 
if that's who we are. Screaming in a parking lot at a Walmart. Yelling. This husband and wife going at it. I mean, it was so apparent. Just like, what is going on over there? And I look over there, and these people go to the church for our pastor. They're having problems. And they're calling each other names and yelling at each other, going back and forth. And I went over there. Hey, pastor, how are you? Praise the Lord. You guys okay? Why? Yeah, sure. Why? Why do you ask? Like Stevie Wonder's like, Helen Keller's like, man, I, I even heard that. And, and there's these compartments. This, this is who I am. And, and, but God's love doesn't work that way. God's love is all-encompassing. God's love is, is how many guys believe that about God's love is powerful? Yes. <laughs> God's love is powerful. It's effective in the life of the believer. You know how powerful God's love is? You know how all-encompassing that it is? is that it can render a change that is so devastating in the life of the believer that they no longer look like themselves at all. They don't look like, they're, they don't look like they used to look at all. Together with its practices and its habits and its addictions, it, how many of you believe this morning that God's love is bigger than a sorry, nasty attitude? But how many of us then walk around with a nasty attitude thinking i got to hold on to it because I've been wronged, because I've been dogged? And you know when we do that? We don't say it this way, but this is really what we're saying. We're saying that my uh, uh, victimization is bigger than God's love. And I have to say to that, wrong. The believer says, you know what? I've been wronged. I'm going to pray for him. That's God's love. Now, is that something a human being can do in and of themselves? No way. You hit me, I'm going to hit you back. You say something bad about me, I'm going to say something in retaliation. Anything that you do, I'll do it right back to you. Before there was the golden rule, there was the rule that we said, do unto others before they do it to you and do it harder. That's what we lived. But unfortunately, that's even seeped into the churches and people act this way. Somebody hurts me, I'm going to hurt them back. And if they, if, if they hurt me, I'm going to go and talk bad about them behind their back. If they hurt me, well, then I'm just going to pretend they don't exist. If they hurt me, well, then I'm just going to go ahead and just ignore them. And, and that's not the love of God. The love of God overcomes all. We got a problem in, in, a, in, in a relationship, we're going to go to that person, and with God's love, it's going to mend it, and we're going to become one all over again. But what, what we do is not what God's Word says. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. Now, going back to John, uh, 1 John, Verse 5, but if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. Okay, so this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus walked. So the first, in verse 3, it talked about obeying his commands, all right? But then in verse 
6, whoever claims to live in it must walk as Jesus did. So now, yes, there's obeying the commands, but the commands are not apart from living like Jesus, like being like Jesus. Remember in Matthew chapter 5, he says, Jesus says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. I've come to make them full. The commands in and of themselves are the character of God. That's how, if you want to know what the character of God looks like, all you have to do is read the commandments. You know the character of God. But just knowing the character of God does not give you the empowerment to live those out. It took Jesus to be the, the, that eternal logos to become flesh to live those out and to make them full. Go to Romans chapter 8. I love Paul's run-on sentences. Don't you love those? They just keep going and going and going. It's like the Energizer Bunny. You're looking for the break, and then it's like on the other page. <laughs> Maybe that's just my frustration anyway. Let's go to verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. So what Paul is saying here is that Jesus came to wear human flesh to be the sin offering for all mankind because the law was powerless to actually um, make us holy. What the law did was to reveal why we were not holy. You understand? Because we were not able to fulfill the law in and of ourselves. It wasn't... Hang on. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be what? Fully met in us. Did you catch this? The righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. Jesus says, I did not come to abolish the law of the prophets, but to make them in Romans, the Apostle Paul is talking about this idea that now we, because we have the Holy Spirit, because Jesus did what he did on the cross for our sins, that because we have that love in us, we automatically fulfill the righteous requirements of the law. Whoa, wait a minute. Yeah. That's why there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It says that in verse 1, right? You see that? This is really good news for us, guys, because the days of us hauling our sin and dragging it through a desert like a dead horse, that's over. You don't have to be a victim to your sin anymore. You don't have to be someone who's, who's terrorized by these habits or these, these addictions or these attitudes or all these things that you've been carrying that's why Jesus talks about that they're not burdensome. These things are not burdensome. The yoke that he has is easy and it's light. Why? Because he does away with all of the bondage. That the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in who? In Jesus? In us. The righteous requirements of the law are fully met in me? Yes. And you. And it's good news for us today. 
Because now we can live for God. I'm, I'm set free to do his will. People like Johnny and Sean Jazzaretta, they were, they were such a blessing to watch. So we can't live together? Well, we better go find some place to live then, I guess, right? Do we get married? Is that what you're saying, Pastor? Okay, yeah. And most of the time when you do that with folks, they get mad at you and they snarl at you and they call you all kinds of names and how dare you judge us and all these kinds of things. You're kind of like, wait, 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 what? I'm telling you what the Word says and that you're mad at me. When you see somebody act like this and then they begin to continue to walk in the light, you know what's really cool is that it's been truly made complete in them. There's something that's really authentically happening in those people. And the evidence of that is that they accept the commands. They accept the, 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 uh, the law. They accept God's word. They say yes, yeah. And, and, and when they sit there, let's, let me just say this. This is a sign of a believer, totally. When somebody is sitting in a, in a setting like this one, and they're mature in the faith, and all, but they're still open. I want more. I want God. I want, I want, in terms of fully and truly and, and all-encompassing, these words that we use, I'm not done. I want more God. I need more God. I've heard that text a thousand times, and the thousand and first time it was awesome. And I can't even wait for the thousand and second time. It's going to be great. It's going to be even better. I've already heard that. I already know that. Oh, brother, here he goes again. The issue is not the guy talking. And, and, and the, the, the good thing that God does is light. The good thing that God does is life. Light and life and power and authority and joy and victory. God. <laughs> Uh, oh, yeah, God's evident there. I mean, but honestly, like, honestly, like you know, it, we, our pastor used to say this a lot. You know, if you're happy, tell your face. You know why he would say that? You know why he'd say that? Because if you are happy, meaning if that's who you are inside, it should come out. There should be joy there. Uh, I mean, Christians, why in the world would there be anybody that would want to come into our church like, like with you displaying that? Any of us. Oh, yeah, I'm going to invite everybody to come to church. No one wants to come. If what you show them is that, why would they want to come? I wouldn't. Would you? Honestly. You come in with joy, and there's power, and there's victory, and there's a smile, and there's all that good stuff that God deposits because it's real, it's not fake. And guess what? You don't just do it on Mondays or you don't just do it on Fridays. It's every day because that's who you are. It's not what you're portraying. It's who you are. It's because it's who God is in you. And so now, guess what? There's a reason for people. You almost don't even have to invite people, honestly. Man, what's the deal with you? Well, what do you mean? You're always happy. You know, like nothing gets you down. Like you, you don't walk around gossiping and slandering like the rest of the people in my office. You know, you don't criticize people and you're not just this negative person. You just, you have joy. I mean, it's just, I don't know how to, I, 
I just see what you have. Oh, it's Jesus. It's God's love. I have God's love in me. That's what it is. That's all it is. Where do you go to church, man? I want to come. I want to get some of that. That's typically how it's happened in my life. I haven't ever had to beat somebody over the head. Why are you coming to church? Why aren't you coming to church? Put them in a guilt trip. I don't have to do that. You know, if you want victory, you want peace, you want power, you want love, your relationship, I got the guy that can make it happen. So let me know when you're ready. I don't have to beat over anybody over the head with it or anything like that at all. People at Starbucks, I, I, I have not once yet had to convince anybody there. They ask. The tally right now that I have at, at Starbucks, not, not because of this, but because of this in me, the tally that I have going on right now, I have four people that have won to Christ that I'm discipling presently. Four. Four. Now, I have 11 in the pipeline. I have a, a systematic approach to the people that I have at Starbucks. That's my other church. First church of Starbucks at Temple. And those people I have in the pipeline. And I'm not, I'm not about building the church. I'm about building the kingdom. So if they never come here, I don't care as long as they know Jesus. That's all I care about. And so guess what? I have people in the pipeline you know what the pipeline is? People who have, I've shared the gospel with that are, are, are ripe for the gospel, that want the gospel. You know what made all that possible? God's love. A tag that says, Pastor Steve, Church of the Nazarene. I'm Pastor Steve. Who wants Jesus? Is anybody ready to accept Christ? Make that a double shot. <laughs> it's not about that. They see the love of Jesus and they're like, I want what you have. God's, true, God's love is truly made complete in that kind of a person. But what do I do with this, Pastor? The first thing has to be an inventory of your life to be able to say, am I obeying him? Because if I'm not obeying him, it's a sign that I don't have God's love. And I'm not going to put qualifiers on this, guys. The temptation for a pastor, because he didn't want to offend people, is to say that you don't have God's love to a certain extent. I'm not going to do that. If, if you're not obeying God, you don't have the love of the Father in you. There's not gray area in there. It would be disobedient of me as a mouthpiece of God, to make it gray. What do I do with this? If there's bad attitudes, if there's lying or gossiping or slandering, if there's laziness, if there, I don't, you, let's name them. You want to be here, we'll, we'll stay here till 2 o'clock. Lukewarm, you name them. Yeah, that's a great, let's name them. Come on, call them out. Pride. What? Anger. Me, selfishness. What else? What do you guys think? Huh? Name them. Come on, y'all. Apathy. Keep them coming. Self-righteousness. What else? 
You see, it, guys, listen, listen. We could be here and we could start to name them. And the issue is that when we name them, we start thinking about someone else. But the issue is not about someone else. It's about me. As, as pastor, I look in the mirror and I say, okay, listen, Lord, if there's an offensive way in me at all, reveal it. We have to do that. And when we do that, God is so gracious. He's so kind. If we're hard on ourselves, God wants to give us grace. It's, it's a crazy thing. If you decide you want to get easy on yourself, then God's going to give you judgment. Beat him to the punch and give yourself judgment so that he can give you grace. That's always the best. To be humble, that's the best place. Always. When you justify yourself, then you remove God from that equation. How many guys would rather have God justify you than yourself? God, I'd rather you justify me. The idea of justification, just as, just as if I had never sinned, right? You ever heard that term before? But I'm telling you guys, when we talk about God's love being made complete in us, it's, it's, it's finished. I, I, I love the idea that the work that Jesus did on the cross was a complete work. What that means for us, as we deny ourselves, we take up our own cross, and we follow him, is that the devil comes to bring accusation, and he comes, he comes to just tie you back in your chains. It's finished. I don't have to be subject to that anymore. Now I can live for God. I can walk with God. I can obey God. And I don't have to be chained down anymore. And there are people in this room even right now, there's some things that have you weighted down. Bondage. Chains. The devil uses them to keep you down. You've had a bad marriage, you'll always have a bad marriage. That's just the way it's always going to be. Always. Oh, well. You've always been addicted to that thing. You've always been addicted to pornography or drugs or alcohol or tobacco or Facebook or television, and there's not any way for you to overcome that. You can't do it. So just give up. Just come to church, pay your tithe. Memorize some passages and thank God for his grace. There's no hope for you. You've always been an angry person. You're always going to be an angry person. You've always been rude. You've always had a, a tongue that could cut anybody in half. You're always going to be that person. We'll just call you honorary. But thank God for his grace. That's not the gospel. The good news is that you can overcome all of that. That's what you used to be. The Bible says that we become new creations. New creations. You know what new creations? The old is past and the new, the new creation has sprung forth to life. I used to be that person. I'm not that person anymore. I used to be rude. I used to walk around with a perpetual bad attitude. I used to be that person. God did something in my heart to change that. 
I'm not that person anymore. He can do that for us. But it requires that we come to him, that we embrace that love. We need to reject this notion that God's love is just not powerful enough to fix me because God's love can fix you too. Yes, he can. Why don't we pray? Time for prayer is the apex of the time that we have in the morning. Every Sunday, every Wednesday night, this part of the service is the high point. It's what everything has been building toward because now we're going to have a real time with, with God. Before you were even awake this morning, God was already preparing for this time that we might be honest with him, that we might be open with him. God wants to minister to our hearts. He wants to love on us. He wants to breathe on us. And there are certain kinds of pause or where we're reluctant that this morning that we could overcome all of that and that we could allow ourselves to be enveloped by God's kindness, by his grace, by his love this morning. Has God's love been truly completed in you? Can you say this morning, I obey his commands. Everything that he has revealed to me in this moment, up to right now, in this, in this specific moment here and now, there is nothing between me and God that I am aware of. Not to say that he might not make something aware to you five minutes from now or ten minutes from now or ten years from now. I'm talking about this moment here and now. That you could say, between me and God, there's nothing that I'm aware of. Nothing that I am disobedient in. Nothing that I have my finger in his face. Absolutely nothing. If you cannot say that, see, the, the Bible is clear that you can live above reproach, that you can be holy. That's what we've been studying these last four weeks. Maybe there's a person in here saying, you know what? Between me and God, there's nothing that I'm aware of. And we praise God for his grace, the power of his love, because that's possible. But if you're going to this morning do inventory and realize that there is something between you and God, then I want to invite you to come down and, and to pray and clear, clear the decks. Let's just clear, get everything clear out in the open with God and let's let his grace overtake our faith. Let's let his love come in that it might be truly complete in us. 
As the musicians play, feel free to come and to have a real time with the Lord this morning.
Jesus, we thank you for being that go-between that humankind needed. The Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. A general statement for sure, but specifically for me. And every person here make that declaration that you've done that for me. That you took away my sin. And all the shame and all the guilt that was connected to it. And instead, you replaced it with your grace. God, you poured your love into us. And that love transcended all of the pain and the suffering, all of the, the defeat, and positioned us for victory that would be so overwhelming that everyone around us could see it including the devil himself realizing that there was the power of God in an individual that the love of the father being in them was the hope of all glory this is what the angels anticipated on pins and needles excited about what God's highest creation could be if they would only grab a hold of it, if they would only seize it for themselves, that through humility and repentance, through contrition and brokenness for what they had done, that God could take that and redeem it. This morning, God, I believe that you have done that here in this place. I believe that there have been people here who have authentically sought you out, who have not pulled back anything but have said, everything's on the table, Lord. Everything is laid bare before the one to whom we must give an account that this morning we want to lay our cards on the table to say, God, this is who I am. This is what I've done. And I don't want to be like this anymore. I don't want to live in this existence any longer. That you would come into my life and change me you would redeem my life for your purposes, for your glory. This morning, I believe that you're doing that and that you will seal this good decision, this good choice that people are making unto the day of redemption, the day of salvation, and that there would be this opportunity for people, even right now, to leave all of the chains here today that we are indeed the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, that we have been created to do good works. Why? Because we love you. We love you. Thank you, God, for this morning. Thank you for depositing your love into us. With heads bowed and eyes closed, and please, nobody looking around, you say this morning, Pastor, I did not come up. I didn't make that, that reach out to God. I didn't, I didn't do it. But... I know that I'm going to need to. And, and I would ask for your, cur for your prayers for courage for me that I would do that soon and very soon. Is there anybody at all like that? Please, heads bowed, eyes closed. Nobody looking around. I just want to pray for you. Is there anybody at all like that this morning? 
You didn't come, but you want prayer, that you'll make this choice, this decision soon. Anybody? God bless you. Is anybody else? We thank you for this Sunday morning, God. It's been a good one. It's been a time to to overcome our tiredness, uh, to come in and to partake of good things that you've had for us. And uh, we we give you all the glory this morning. We we thank you for all the good things that we've encountered. And uh, we pray that we take all those good things, we go live them out. Places where we live, places where we go, where we eat, where we play, we have coffee. And that the people that we encounter would not so much encounter us, but they'd encounter the living God in us. We love you, Lord. We thank you. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Let's give God praise this morning. He's worthy. God is worthy. Amen. He's worthy. Hallelujah. Well, God bless you all. Have a great week, and we'll see you again the next time you are dismissed.